who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. You are listening to episode four of Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 8, Diurnia Orbital, December 19, 2372. For once, the quarterly ratings exams came around while we were docked. All the ratings showed up for breakfast, and Mr. Hill had the only exam out of the three. I made a mental note to prod Miss Arione along the trail before remembering that Miss Arione and her training wouldn't be my concern for much longer. That sobered me. I could have wished they'd all moved up the ladder, but Mr. Hill was doing nicely in his cargo specialty, and Mr. Schubert already held as spec one and ship handler. We just weren't rated to pay him for it. Mostly, the breakfast conversation was low-key and quiet. Mr. Wyatt had been up all night as OOD and looked a little the worse for wear. I suspected the massive breakfast spread was due as much to his trying to stay awake in the wee hours of the dog watch as to his culinary drive. Ms. Thomas seemed alert and chipper enough, if a bit keyed up. She filled her plate and cleaned it twice before settling back with a satisfied smile. Only her furtive glances at the chronometer gave away her nervousness. The chief looked a bit ragged, which surprised me. It wasn't like her to overindulge ashore, and I wondered if she'd be up for a ship crawl. After some juice and coffee, she perked up readily enough and tucked away a healthy amount of Avery's handiwork in her own right. By 0700, we all had enough and scattered to our duties. Ms. Thomas headed for her stateroom to change into a dress uniform, and Mr. Schubert headed for the brow. I sent Mr. Wyatt off to get some sleep, and Mr. Paul helped me clear away breakfast. Ms. Arione disappeared in the direction of the flea market, and if she felt uneasy about running the booth on her own, she didn't show it. Mr. Hill helped us clear the table and swept the mess deck before heading for Crew's berthing. He stuck his head in a few ticks later, looking sharp. I'm off to the Union Hall for exam, Skipper. Mr. Paul and I both waved, and Mr. Paul gave him a thumbs up. I looked at him curiously as Mr. Hill headed for the lock. His old happy-go-lucky smile was still missing, but something like his old spirit showed in his face. The cleanup drew our collective attention, and we settled into an easy rhythm, splitting the tasks and working methodically through them. I'd been so wrapped up in myself I hadn't noticed that Mr. Paul appeared much more lively. As we finished the cleanup, I leaned back on the counter, drying my hands on a side towel, and eyed him. You're looking a mite less peaked, Mr. Paul. 
He grinned at me and finished stowing a stack of mixing bowls under the cupboard. Is that a good thing, Skipper? Yes, Mr. Paul, it is. He shrugged. I'm feeling a bit better, Skipper. He grabbed a stack of clean plates out of the sanitizer and shoved them into the plate rack. I credit Ms. Arione, actually. The weapons training? He looked around for something else to stow. Finding nothing, he leaned against the work island and rested his palms on the edge. In a way, mostly it's her outlook. Really? His answer surprised me. Her outlook? Well, maybe attitude, he amended. It's just... He looked up at the overhead as if the words he struggled to find were up there. She's not had an easy time of it, you know? Well, I don't know the particulars, William, but I suspect she's had her ups and downs. Yes, mostly downs if half the stories are true. He looked at his boots for a few heartbeats. She made me look at myself and think. I could feel my eyebrows rise a bit on my forehead. A frightening experience for anyone, William. He saw my smile and grinned back. Yes, well, the thinking was something I'd been doing, but not enough looking. Compared to her, I'm a spoiled brat rich kid with more advantages than brains. I figured I needed to get over myself and get on with my life. His words echoed in my head, and I had a very uncomfortable moment before he went on. He looked up at me and gave a bit of a shrug. It's not something she's said, as much as how she is. You look at her and you see one thing, and sometimes that's really her, but sometimes it's not. She has this intensity when she's doing knife work or the unarmed moves. It's like she goes someplace else in her head, and, and then she cracks a joke about my grip or my balance and tosses me on the deck. He shook his head. I'm not explaining this very well. I think you're doing admirably well, William. He sighed once before continuing. So, yeah, Billy the Buccaneer seems a bit... He groped for a word. Sophomoric. I was surprised by his use of the name that I'd assumed most people used behind his back, but it pulled a short laugh out of me. Well, you certainly left an impression. He barked his own laugh in return. No doubt, Skipper, no doubt. I can see how some people might have found that aggravating. He shook his head. So this last trip, I actually started thinking about it. I don't know what or how or anything, really, but working with her? She's got such amazing control of herself, and I began to think that's all we really have, control of ourselves. And it's up to us how we deal with that. He glanced at me out of the corner of his eyes. You've come a long way, William. Thank you, Skipper. I feel like i still got a long way to go. <laughs> don't we all? Miss Thomas sailed past the mess deck, looking resplendent in her dress uniform, and we both gave her a little wave in passing. When we heard the lock start to close, he turned back to me. She's going to be the new captain, isn't she? Well, I think she's going to pass this time, yes. He gave me a hairy eyeball in return. That's not exactly what I asked, Skipper. I could feel the corner of my mouth curling up. Yes, I believe she is, William. Is that a problem? He looked at the empty door again and thought for a moment. No, Captain, I don't think it is. It's part of the ride, isn't it? He seemed about ten stan years older all at once. Yes, William, I do believe it is. My tablet bit me then, and I pulled up the incoming message, read it quickly, and forwarded it to Chief Gearhart. Looks like good news, Skipper. Not sure if it's good or bad, but Kirsten Kingsley's meeting me at the maintenance dock at 0900. He grinned back as Chief Gearhart burst onto the mess deck. I'm ready, she said. With a nod to Mr. Paul, I followed the chief out of the lock, and we headed for the maintenance docks. As we approached, we met Kirsten coming in the opposite direction. She had a knowing smile on her face. Like the looks of it, Captain. It seems like it might fill the bill if we can come to an agreement on price and I can get the financing together. She nodded sympathetically. Financing is usually the problem. She keyed the lock to maintenance and asked, Did Richard Larks get to you? Yes, he did. 
She looked over at me. That doesn't sound promising. His advice was to take the money and retire to the country. We were halfway along, and Kirsten stopped to look at me. He what? Chief Gerhardt and I both fetched up. Greta looked a bit amused, but I just shrugged. He said it's not enough money to go into business for myself, so I'd be best advised to retire and collect the income on my investments. She made a rude noise. Did he offer to manage those investments for you, too? Not yet, I smiled at her. She tisked and shook her head. I thought he was better than that. We continued walking along toward Dock 3. Did he at least ask you what you wanted to do? Oh, yes, and his advice was to buy a nice yacht so I could sail around to my heart's content. She shot me another look. A yacht? Yeah. He seemed to think they were just like fast packets, only smaller. The chief snorted quietly beside me. I looked at them, but they just don't have the legs to be much use. Kirsten shook her head and muttered, I need to look at the advice he's given us. He's obviously not as connected as I thought he was. We stopped in front of the lock, and Kirsten keyed it open. A slight overpressure in the hall gusted a green-smelling miasma onto the dock, and Kirsten all but retched at the smell. Beside me, the chief said a very unladylike word that would have fit right in on any engineering deck in the universe. She looked at Kirsten. You might want to have an engineer look at the scrubbers. Kirsten eyed the chief engineer flashes on Greta's ship suit. Um, you wouldn't happen to know of one that'd be willing to look at this for me? The chief grinned and pulled a small flashlight out of a pocket at her thigh. Matter of fact, I do. I'd take it as a favor, Chief. Gearhart, is it? The chief looked once at me, and I nodded. She took a deep breath and plunged into the funk. I followed, and Kirsten brought up the rear. Chief Gearhart didn't waste time looking for light switches, but her beam flashed once across the broken console as she headed into the ship. As she walked, she pulled her tablet out of its holster, and I could see the schematic of a ship glowing on the panel. Once we were inside, the funk wasn't quite so bad. It still caught the back of my throat, but by breathing shallowly, it wasn't too bad. I heard Kirsten gasping as she struggled to follow. Breathe through your mouth. It'll help, I suggested to her. Ugh. I had to admire Miss Kingsley's ability to pile freight on a single word. The chief walked deep into the hold, walking past the ladder up to the first deck. Hatch to engineering is up the ladder, chief, I called after her. She shot a glance over her shoulder and kept going. Kirsten found a handkerchief to breathe through, had it clamped over her mouth and nose. I couldn't imagine it helped much, but if it made her feel better, I wouldn't deprive her of the comfort. The taste of the air caught at the back of my tongue. She looked at me over the top of the hanky, and I just shrugged and followed the chief into the dark, the flashlight making a brilliant puddle of light as it jerked along the decking. I was about five steps behind by the time Chief Gearhart reached the after bulkhead, and her light scanned back and forth at waist height until it stopped at a door latch. There we go, she said, almost to herself. She grabbed the latch and pulled it up to disengage it. It didn't budge at first, so she shifted her leverage on it and got it moving. As the handle got vertical, some mechanism in the door lifted it away from the after bulkhead. She got her shoulder on the exposed edge and started shoving it sideways. I put my weight behind hers, and we got the hatch open enough to slip through. The hatch opened onto a good-sized spares locker, most of the bins empty, a couple of them broken, I had the presence of mind to register when the chief's flashlight picked out the light switch on the bulkhead and closed my eyes as her hand reached for it. I could see the lights blaze behind my lids and opened them tentatively. Kirsten edged through the hatch behind us, her eyes blinking away the glare and the tears from the smell. The chief scanned the storage bins quickly and found what she was looking for. Give me a hand here, Skipper. She pointed to the pile of filter cartridges. She grabbed two of them and began stacking them in my arms like firewood. 
She gave me five and took the sixth one herself before elbowing open the hatch on the other end of the compartment. It opened into the engine room and she flicked the lights on as she passed the hatch combing. The flashlight went back into her pocket and she flicked through a few screens of schematic until she found the one she wanted. She turned the screen to orient it to the scene in front of her and then eeled between the massive machinery and disappeared. I followed her and found her pulling the latches open on an upright cabinet. She had to put down the filter and tablet to free her hands, but the cover came away easily to reveal a badly sodden mass that I barely recognized as the inside of a scrubber. She cursed again and set the cover aside, leaning it against the bulkhead before turning back to Kirsten. Miss Kingsley, this isn't my ship, but if it were, I'd strip this mess out and replace it with fresh filter cartridges as soon as possible. Now is not too soon. It's going to make a mess, but this... She jerked her thumb at the mess in the scrubber cabinet. It's what's making the smell. Would you do it for me, Chief? Chief Gearhart had her head in the scrubber and clogged filters were slopping down on the deck before Miss Kingsley finished. Skipper, if you'd stand those spares over there... She nodded with her head as her hands fumbled with the slippery releases. We need to find a trash bin or something for these. And I saw a hose back in the store's locker. There should be a water fitting on the bulkhead just at the foot of the ladder over there. She jerked her chin in the direction of the ladder. By the time I'd dumped my load out of the way of the dirty filters coming out of the scrubber, Kirsten had wheeled over a trash bin and was getting her Natalie tailored suit filthy by grabbing the filters off the deck. I left that task to her and went in search of the hose. It took us half a stand working together to get the rotting filters out of the scrubber, get it cleaned out to the chief's satisfaction, and then reload it with fresh cartridges. It didn't help the smell immediately, but given time the circulation would clean it up. By then, we'd become so inured to the stench, it was no longer gag-inducing. Thanks for the help. Sorry about the suit, Chief Gerhardt said to Kirsten, nodding to the slime streaks down the front. Kirsten looked down at herself, arms held away from her body. I didn't like this suit anyway, she said finally, and grinned at the chief. Thank you for this. Her hand swept around to indicate the scrubber and a clean deck around it. Chief Gerhardt smiled and ducked her head in acknowledgement. Glad to help. I hate seeing ships suffer. Well, you wanted to see the engine room, Chief. What do you think? I asked as I dried my hands on a bit of waste. I'm not sure why I bothered. My ship suit would need to be recycled because I didn't think cleaning it would get the smell out. The Chief cast an uneasy glance at Miss Kingsley and hesitated. Kirsten grinned. Please. This is not my area of expertise, Chief Gearhart. I'd take it as a kindness if you'd tell us both what needs to be fixed here. The Chief nodded to Kirsten. Okay, then. I need to poke around a bit, but up front, it needs a cleaning. She pointed to the deck around the scrubber where we'd cleaned up the slime. You can see the difference in the deck where we cleaned. How long has this ship been here unattended? A week, maybe. The chief shook her head. Then this is old dirt. If you're going to sell this ship, you'll need to get it cleaned up, just for starters. She pulled the flashlight out again and started walking around with Kirsten hot on her trail. Every so often, she'd stop, point out something with her light, and comment to Miss Kingsley. After the second stop, Kirsten pulled out her own tablet and started making notes. I followed along behind, largely forgotten but enjoying the tour. After a full stand of crawling through cabinets, looking behind huge machines, and even examining the ship's air ducts, the chief shut off her flashlight and pocketed it. Kirsten made a few final notations on her tablet and filed the documents. So, you think this isn't a bad ship but needs some work? Kirsten's expression was intent on Chief Gearhart. I think she'd even forgotten she intended to sell the ship to me. The chief sighed and looked around the room once more. It looks like she's been used hard and run on a shoestring for a long time. You're going to need to put some money into it to make it really safe and spaceworthy again. Those things you pointed out, Kirsten held up the tablet. 
The fuse actors need the most attention. The ship will need to be recertified when you sell it, and those units won't pass. They haven't had the required periodic maintenance, so they'll need to be decommissioned, gutted, and rebuilt. She shrugged. It's not as bad as it sounds, but it'll take some time. What about the sail generators? You said they need work. New coils. They flex over time. The metal gets fatigued, and they need to be replaced. They're standard parts, and any competent refitter should be able to deal with them. It's just one of those things that you'll want to do. Thanks for this. Kirsten said. I've had ships inspected before, but this is the first time I've gone along to sea. The chief chuckled. I'll send you my bill. Please do. Kirsten smiled. We owe you for this one. While we're at it, do you want to look over the galley and the bridge? I'd love to. I've heard about these Higbys, but this is the first one I've been on. The two of them wandered off toward the ladder and left me standing in engineering. I wondered how far they'd go before they realized I wasn't with them. They disappeared through the hatch on the first deck, still chattering away. Kirsten had her tablet out, making more notes. I chuckled to myself and wandered back through the store's locker and onto the cargo deck. The ship almost thrummed from the sound of blowers cranked up on high to facilitate the change of air. The main deck was one of the largest open spaces I'd ever seen on a ship. I figured the space to be ten meters wide, perhaps as much as thirty meters long, and close to four meters from deck to overhead. It seemed like a lot of volume, and I considered the general criticism about the design that said it was difficult to get a full nine and a half metric tons aboard. Filing that observation away, I wandered forward up the ladder to the first deck to look for the others. I found them on the bridge with Chief Gearhart on her hands and knees, her head stuck inside a console. I could see the flashes from her light shining out through the cracks. Her voice was muffled by the cabinetry. No, these are okay. I'd leave it up to the next owner to replace them or not. She sneezed. Needs cleaning, though. Kirsten actually giggled. I'm not surprised at this point. She saw me climb up the ladder. Hi, Captain. Hello, Kirsten. Is Chief Gerhardt giving you the lowdown? Oh, yeah. Greta's been very helpful. I didn't react to the use of her first name, but things seemed to have progressed a bit. I found that intriguing, given the Chief's past. The Chief backed out of the cabinet and stood. She started to dust down the front of her shipsuit and realized that the slime on it wasn't quite dry. She really didn't want it on her hands again. All right, you two. Kirsten said after a heartbeat. Recommendations? I nodded for the chief to go first. Well, I gave you the list in engineering for that space. There's the one problematic chiller in the galley, and you'll want to have all of those galley fittings gone over. She paused and looked around the small bridge. The electronics here are a bit dated, but adequate. The fiber optics look sound, and the linkages seem okay. You'll need a good systems person to check out the internals there, though. That's about it. Kirsten looked at me. Captain? I thought about it for a few heartbeats. You've got a lot of routine work that needs doing here, stuff that a crew should have done as a matter of course, but I'm guessing morale may have been a problem. Chief Gerhardt nodded agreement, her mouth pinched together in a rueful-looking grimace. From my perspective, you have a couple of choices. Leave it for the new owner to deal with and discount the price, or you can fix it up and try for the best deal possible. She looked at me with a frown. The way you say that makes me think you're not interested in buying it yourself. The chief and I shared a glance. Kirsten saw it, but before she worked out enough to ask, I said, I might be, but after meeting with Larks and doing a little homework of my own, I really can't afford this ship. I looked out the aft ports in the cold darkness beyond, or any other. Kirsten frowned. What are you saying, Captain? I shrugged helplessly. According to everything I've been able to learn, I just don't have enough capital to go indie. Even after the most optimistic estimate on the Chernyakova, I can't afford any of the smaller vessels currently listed here. My share isn't even enough for a down payment. I spread my hands to take in the Jezebel. This is an interesting vessel, and I think it would be a good ship. The bottom line is, 
I just can't swing the bottom line. I could see the wheels turning in Kirsten's mind, and we waited in uncomfortable silence until she spoke again. I see, she said at last. Thank you both. This has been enlightening. She looked at me and then at Greta. Don't forget to send me that bill, Greta. Greta laughed. I was kidding. Kirsten arched an eyebrow. I'm not. Bill me. Inspection services rendered. Two kilocreds. Her severe expression relaxed. It's the least I can do under the circumstances. Greta shrugged. Okay, then. In that case, I'll offer another bit of advice. Kirsten focused on her. You've not steered me wrong yet. What is it? Get a caretaker to live aboard. Greta nodded her head in the direction of the stern. That got so bad because there was nobody here to notice. You're lucky it wasn't something more serious, like a fire. Get somebody to live here. Keep the lights on. Keep an eye on the ship. Automated sensors can only do so much. Kirsten nodded and made another note on her tablet. Good thinking. I keep thinking this is only going to be temporary, but... She shrugged and her voice trailed off. She looked back at me. Captain, I'm going to do some research today and get back to you. Would you meet with another financial advisor if I send one to you? Of course. I've got nothing to lose by talking about it. Good, she said, because something isn't adding up, and I'm going to try to get to the bottom of it. The chief and I traded glances again as Kirsten led the way down off the bridge. Is there anything else you want to see, either of you? She called over her shoulder as she started down. Chief Gerhardt shook her head at me, and I answered, I think we're good for now, Kirsten. Thank you for the tour. On the deck below, she turned her face up to us with an amused grin painted on it. No, thank you. I've learned a lot from giving you to the tour. We secured the lock on the way off the ship, and in the clean, cold air of the docks, the smell of our clothes wafted up and reminded us that we should avoid polite company until we could address the problem. At the entrance to the maintenance dock, Kirsten asked, Are you available for dinner tonight, Captain? I've got some people you should meet, and over dinner would be the right way to do it. I shook my head. Sorry, I've got the overnight duty tonight. She nodded. Very well, then. Tomorrow night. That should work. Excellent. She beamed. That'll give me a chance to make sure I bring all the right people to the table. I'll let you know when and where when I get it nailed down. She held out a hand to Chief Gerhardt. Thank you, Greta. If there's anything you need from DST, call me. Greta took the offered hand and gave it a firm shake. Thanks, Kirsten. We'll be getting underway in a couple of days, but I'll definitely send you a bill. Kirsten grinned. Good. Now I better go change before I head back to the office. With a jaunty wave, she headed back down the docks. The chief and I headed back toward the ship, and I could see that she was mentally chewing on something. I kept glancing at her out of the corner of my eye, but she was staring at the deck in front of her. Eventually, I gave in and asked, What is it? She grimaced and shook her head. There's more going on here than meets the eye. Yes, there is. She looked up at me in surprise. You know what it is? Not entirely, and I'm not sure I should say. I eyed the people walking past us, most giving us a wide berth in passing. I couldn't blame them. She frowned and poked me in the ribs. Come on, Yamini, give. Why, Chief Gerhardt, is that any way to speak to your captain? Don't give me that. Her voice carried an undertone of something that sounded like real anger. She took a deep breath and let it out before saying, You're not going to be my captain too much longer, so stop being a jerk. Tell me. I looked down at her, but she wouldn't meet my gaze. DST has a job for me after the Agamemnon. She screwed up her face, but still wouldn't look at me. Okay, but that's going to be hard for them to do if they fire you. Well, they want me to go Indy. I nodded my head back in the direction we'd just come from. That ship is one they're retiring from service. It's something that started before Mr. Maloney died, but they're taking advantage of it. She glanced up at me, the angry frown obvious. 
You're not making a lot of sense there, Captain. I stepped to the side of the promenade and stopped, getting out of the flow of traffic and letting it move on. She stopped with me, anger giving away to curiosity. DST has a management problem that they just assume not get spread around. I looked at her until she nodded her understanding. Historically, the CEO has always been the majority stockholder. It's a private company, and that stockholder has been a Maloney for three generations now. Yep, I know that. What's the problem? She stopped. Who's the new majority stockholder? Mr. Maloney's daughter. I could see the confusion in her eyes. So, what's the problem? She's not in the business. What do you mean she's not in the business? How can you be the heir to DST and not be in the business? It took me a couple of ticks to explain the will and the stipulations it contained. When I finished, she looked at me with disbelief. You're kidding. They think you're going to go into business for yourself so you can turn around and train their new CEO? That's what they're telling me. If she doesn't stick it out, then these people, Jarvis and the board of directors, have to take the company public, and little Miss Maloney gets a reduced inheritance instead of controlling interest in her family business? That's what I've been led to believe. That stinks. So do I. She giggled then. Me too. Let's get cleaned up. I need to think about this. She struck off down the promenade without looking to see if I were still with her. I chuckled to myself and stretched my legs to catch up. Chapter 9. Diurnia Orbital. December 19, 2372. Mr. Wyatt pulled out all the stops for the dinner mess and served up a five-course meal complete with wine and beer. Mr. Hill and I had to refrain from imbibing, but the general air of celebration was infectious, and I for one didn't mind. Miss Thomas was the guest of honor for having survived her third attempt at a master's interview. She seemed as dazed as I remember being after my own trial, but pleased by the attention and support. Mr. Wyatt, always sensitive, even had a special candle-bedecked cupcake for Mr. Hill to honor his passing of his Spec 1 cargo exam. As the meal progressed, I became more and more aware of the reality that faced us all, and with the remains of dessert littering the table, I lifted my mug in salute to Miss Thomas. To the newest captain in the fleet. My voice cut through the fading conversational threads, and everybody raised a glass, mug, or cup, and gave a rousing, Hear, hear! Miss Thomas bowed her head in gracious, if giggling, acceptance of the honor, and the company looked to me to speak. I took a deep breath and let it out. Ladies and gentlemen of the Agamemnon, I began. The formality wiped some smiles away and engendered others. This is a good time as any to let you know what's happening to the best of my knowledge and ability to share. From the far side of the table, Mr. Schubert muttered, Finally. A chorus of chuckles erupted. I nodded to him with a grin. Finally and I'm sorry that we've had to be quite so secretive. I'll also confess that there will still be things I can't really share yet, but in all probability the newest captain in the fleet will be your new captain. Miss Thomas's jaw dropped. She managed to sputter. Surely not. Mr. Paul put the point on it for me by asking, Doesn't that usually take weeks to find out, Skipper? Usually, Mr. Paul, but this board is expected to report its findings in the morning. It's the same board that Ms. Thomas faced last Stanier, and this re-examination was granted at the request of Diurnia Salvage and Transport a month or more ago. I shrugged. Miss Kingsley expects the report in the morning. Miss Thomas looked concerned. Captain, when you started talking about going indie, 
I didn't realize you meant now. I didn't expect it either, Miss Thomas, but when Miss Kingsley brought me your invitation to the captain's board, she also brought my termination papers. I'll be going ashore, and you all will have to fill an empty billet before you can sail to Gent. The jovial atmosphere leached out of the mess deck faster than a hull breach would have siphoned off the atmosphere, leaving the emotional debris swirling in the air. But why, Captain? I was surprised to hear Miserioni's voice. Why what, Miserioni? Why the sudden shift? Why the hurry-up? In about two weeks, the results of the Chernyakova auction on Brekaw will be announced. The company is expecting a lot of people who get that prize money will quit the company. They expect that I'll be striking out on my own, going indie. Aren't they sort of forcing you to do that, Skipper? She asked. I mean, by putting you ashore without another ship, aren't they sort of forcing you into it? I suppose in a way. The truth is that I don't have to do anything. The proceeds from the sale of the Chernyakova will set me up pretty well when they get here, and I've got plenty of resources to get by on until then. Still, she persisted, that timing sucks, and it looks to me like they're pushing you out, sir. I could see Mr. Schubert nodding just a tiny bit in agreement. Be that as it may, Miss Arione, as soon as Miss Thomas gets her ticket, she'll be the new captain, and I'll be going ashore. Where will you go, Captain? Avery's voice broke in. He'd had more foreknowledge and was trying to help me move the conversation along. I don't know just now, Mr. Wyatt, I grinned. Maybe I'll reserve the penthouse suite and live in the lap of luxury. The company laughed a little, and Mr. Wyatt suggested, You might want to wait until the payout actually comes in, Captain, which triggered another round of chuckles. Chief Gearhart had a strange contemplative look on her face, but didn't offer any comments. I wondered what she was thinking. I took a deep breath and spoke again into the diminishing chatter. Since this may be the last time I'll be sitting at the head of the table with the whole crew assembled, I paused until they'd all turned to me. Thank you. This has been an amazing stanier, and I'm honored to have been your captain. I'm sure you're going to continue the work we've begun, and I want to wish soon-to-be Captain Thomas all the success in the galaxy when she takes command. I raised my mug to her in toast. She mouthed the words, thank you, while the table all applauded in her direction. When the hubbub died down, she got a devilish expression on her face and muttered, you're going to feel the right fool tomorrow when you're still here and I fail the exam again, loud enough for the entire table to hear. Everybody laughed, and the moment passed as the party began breaking up. Mr. Hill headed for the watch station, and the rest of us helped Mr. Wyatt clean away the remains of the meal. Within half a stand, we'd cleared most of it, and the junior crew wandered off to the joys of portside evening, leaving Mr. Wyatt, Chief Gerhardt, Miss Thomas, and me to our discussion. So, now that the cats are mostly out of the various bags, Mr. Wyatt asked, What are you going to do, Captain? Miss Thomas looked up sharply. "'Cats out of the bags, Avery? "'You mean you knew about this?' "'He shrugged and offered a nod in her direction. "'We didn't want to mention it to you until after the interview.' "'I smiled at her. "'It was my fault. "'I remembered how nervous I was at my interview, "'and I didn't want to add that pressure to you and yours.' "'She planted an elbow on the table and put her chin on her fist. "'Well, DST seems to be taking a lot for granted, aren't they?' We all looked at her, and the sudden attention distracted her for a moment. I mean, what if I don't want to take over the Agamemnon? I thought Avery's eyes would bug out of his head at that pronouncement. My own must have looked a little bit odd, too. Don't you? Chief Gerhardt asked. Miss Thomas grinned and patted the chief's forearm. Well, of course I do, Greta, but they're assuming I am, and that's not the same thing as asking, now is it? We greeted her pragmatic approach with general nods of agreement. After stowing the last of the clean dishes, we settled around the mess deck. Gwen and Avery on one side, Chief Gearhart, uncharacteristically seated beside me. 
So who will we lose? Gwen asked. Lose? Wyatt looked at her. Yes, she nodded at me. When Ishmael leaves, who will go with him? I smiled at her. You're asking who won't stay if you're captain. Yes, I suppose I am. Well, I think Mr. Hill will stay, I told her. He's very much enjoying his work here with Avery. Mr. Schubert, Miss Arione. I don't know. Mr. Paul will stay, I'm pretty sure. Avery grinned at her. Hmm, I don't know. I may have to find a new berth. She turned a stricken face to him and spotted the twinkle in his eye. Oh, you. She smacked him on the shoulder with a fist, very gently for her. We all turned to Chief Gearhart. Gwen, how could I leave you? She smiled warmly. Miss Thomas tossed an odd glance in my direction before reaching across the table to pat the chief's hand. You follow your heart, dear. She straightened up quickly and said, Okay, we need a first mate and possibly another watchstander. I frowned. You seem pretty sure you're going to lose one of them. Do you have a reason? She settled back on her chair and thought for a few heartbeats. I don't know, Skipper. Just a hunch. And I'd rather not be unpleasantly surprised. If we plan for it and don't need it? She shrugged, but did not finish the statement. Start with the known, Avery suggested. Do we know any firsts, or any likely seconds who've got their first mate ticket but need a first mate berth? Where's William on the list? Gwen asked. I pulled up my tablet and accessed the crew rosters. He's got enough time and grade to go for second mate, but he hasn't taken the exam. The chief asked, would he? I considered it. I think he would now. She looked at me with a question on her face, but it never made it out of her mouth, so I didn't answer it. Hmm. You're going to be short-handed as soon as they beach me, I pointed out. Gwen, you've got the day watch in the morning, and William has the mid-watch tomorrow night, leaving the day watch on the next for somebody. She grinned at me. And by that time, it'll not be your problem, will it? I felt the color rising in my face. Gwen continued. Thanks for worrying, but this, I think we can handle. I smiled back. I know you can. It's just habit, I guess. She nodded. If we can get William through the second mate's exam, he might be able to move up if he wants. Avery looked at her with a question. You're thinking down the line a bit, right? Yes, I'm thinking ahead. Getting a new first mate is going to be the priority. The conversation petered out as we sat there, looking at each other for a few heartbeats. Chief Gearhart was the first to rise and slaughter empty mug in the washer. Well, I'm going to get into some civvies and go ashore for a while, I think. She smiled around the table at us and gave a little wave as she headed off the mess deck. Avery gave Gwen a fond look and asked, Feel like dancing? Celebrate your new rank? She looked at him with a little frown. I haven't really gotten it yet, you know. I might not, and I'd hate to jinx it. He smiled warmly at her and patted her forearm, of course. I'm tired, though, so I think I'll grab a shower and get some sleep. Something tells me I won't get much of that after today. She grinned at me. That's probably true, I agreed, stood up myself. She made her way off the mess deck, leaving only Avery and me. I drew another mug of coffee and leaned against the counter to consider my next steps. What are you going to do, Skipper? I don't really know, Avery. The chief and I visited the Jezebel today and talked to Kirsten Kingsley. Kirsten seemed a bit confused by the advice that Larks gave me and was rather under the impression that I should already be thinking about what I'm going to do when I own the ship. Well, I've seen your numbers, and I have to agree with you on that assessment, Captain. The only other choice you've got is to try to raise the capital some other way or get DST to lower the price of the ship. Or both, I muttered. He grinned. Or both. In a way, it's good, I said. He raised an eyebrow in my direction. I'm not going to another ship. There's no way for people to follow me into unemployment. He snickered. I don't think that's really a problem, Skipper. We're a pretty solid crew now, thanks to you, and Gwen's got a good heart. I think so too, Avery, and I credit you with that. You changed your life much more profoundly than I did. He colored a bit and mumbled. She's a good woman. 
I grinned at the top of his head, and if I didn't have a twinge of envy, then it was very close. But that doesn't answer the question about you, Skipper. He looked up at me. Do you have a place to stay on the orbital? Not at the moment. Things have been moving too fast for me to really focus on. I can always grab a room at one of the hotels. He started chuckling almost to himself. What's so funny? We've been focused on the very short-term picture here. Yeah, and? And in what? Ten standard days or so, you're going to become one of the wealthiest individuals on the quadrant and the most eligible bachelor on this end of the Western Annex. He chuckled again. No, that can't be. He nodded. If you get as many credits as they're saying, you're going to be chased by the paparazzi and your every spare moment will be dogged by gossip mongers looking to be the first to report who you're eating dinner with. No. The reality that he was spinning made perfect sense, but I couldn't really deal with it. I can see the headlines now. Tragic captain dines alone again. Why tragic? I couldn't help but laugh a bit. Because you're dining alone, of course. You'd be a wonderfully tragic figure. I closed my eyes and tried to will the thoughts away, but I couldn't help but snicker. The more I tried not to, the more I did. The more I did, the more Avery did, and it soon became a giggle fest of the first order. When I finally caught my breath, I topped off my mug and headed for the ladder. I've got some packing to do, I think. That sobered us both up pretty quickly. You need any help? I shook my head. No, I haven't been here that long, and it all should go into the grav trunks I brought aboard. I grinned back at him. Do you think Gwen will want the cabin painted? He started laughing again, and I made my exit before I got sucked in. Thanks for listening to Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Music is Larry O'Gaff, a traditional tune performed by Ragtime Larry and Tom Jode, and is used with permission of the artists. You can find this and other works by Tom Jode on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation of Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information about the book, the author, and the golden age of the Solar Clipper, visit www.solarclipper.com. <laughs>